Welcome to another episode of the TZ Podcast, where a little time makes a big difference. Really happy to have Elena with us today. She is one of our instructors and one of our blog writers. Elena, do you mind starting by introducing yourself and telling the audience a little bit about you? Sure. So my name is Elena DiPianco. Um, I grew up in Hacienda Heights. I attended Los Altos High School, and then I went to Scripps College, which is a small liberal arts school, and I studied English with a major in creative writing. Um, I grew up always loving to read and write, so it sort of was a no-brainer for me. Um, and yeah, I love I love being transported to other worlds. I love exploring and looking deeper into what authors have to say, and I love producing my own poetry. So in the fall, I will be pursuing an MA in comparative and international education at Teachers College, which is at Columbia University in New York City. Awesome. As we're blessed at Tudor Zone to have some extremely energetic academic young minds, we assign Elena a, a big task, I think, which was to talk about this academic COVID gap that, that we're kind of dialoguing now as our kids have been a part of some kind of combination, a lot of distance learning for a long time, now a little bit more hybrid. Some kids are back four days, some kids are uh, back only two days and do more distance learning. At Tudor Zone, we've been blessed with an opportunity to really teach a lot of kids remotely. And so Elena dove deep, and today the, the conversation is to see what kind of findings she had in terms of her research. And so I want to start with directly going to her blog. And if you haven't come across it, I really recommend you to go to the Tutor Zone website and read a little bit about it. It has a, a good message that I think gives us perspective. So this is directly from your, um, your writing, Elena. It says, how big of an influence has virtual schooling had on student learning? What inequities in public education have been worsened? by the pandemic, what type of common sense solutions can be implemented moving forward to help students? These are things that we will explore together in the blog, and I wanted us to explore them together today. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about, in your research, how how much data is out there about this already? I mean, it's only been about a year. How you know reliable is the data? How specific is it in your findings? Yeah, so I knew going into this this article that this was you know a big topic and so I really wanted to get as specific as possible and so I decided to focus on primary education in public schools specifically in California since that's what I'm most familiar with and so I really I turned to PACE um, policy an analyst um, analysis um, for California education they're like a nonpartisan research institute and um, I pretty much I looked at their findings and the short answer is there's a lot of gaps in the data. Um, their their research was pulling from, I think, 18 districts in California, and there's there's actually hundreds of districts in total. And so the research is really incomplete, and that is true of Pace and also McKinsey and Company, another research institute that even cast a wider net. And so, you know, there are findings, there are takeaways, um, but we have to just sort of, you know, take note of this, this information is, is incomplete. Um, a lot of students, you know, just haven't been tested. Um, the schools, you know, that's just not a requirement for right now. Um, so I think for me, you know, just having that context, you know, I just take everything with a grain of salt, but also, you know, sort of look at what, what are what are the general, what are the general um, ideas that are kind of coming forth in the research. And so 
I mean, yeah, I think, um, you know, spring 2020 when the pandemic hit, it was it was a mess. It was a lot of schools really scrambling to transition to, um, you know, on some sort of online learning and others just sort of trying to write it out and maybe just send home, um, you know, packets for the rest of the year. And so I think there was a lot of um, different scenarios playing out spring of 2020. And then by the time the following school year rolled around fall 2021, schools kind of had a little bit more time to prepare for remote instruction. And so, yeah, now that we have approached about a year mark, I think um, in terms of, yeah, how deep the, the impact of virtual schooling is, yeah, I think one of the main takeaways is that there has been, you know, learning loss across um, ELA, English language arts and math. Um, and students that are most affected are those in earlier grades. So we're talking kindergarten, and first grade, um, which, you know, to me, it makes sense because these are the students that are just learning to read. They're just acquiring those skills. And so, you know, to not be able to receive that, you know, instruction in person, you know, it's been really, really hard on them. And so that was one of the big findings. Um, it's just, yeah, students, students in earlier grades um, have struggled to, to kind of adapt and take on those really critical skills. Yeah, so I, I obviously you're kind of prefacing that this is a small sample out of, you know, a big population of students. And I think time will tell. Obviously, we'll start to probably hear about state standards. But I mean, how much value do we put on students that are having to take their state testing now on a computer and in, in different circumstances that they're used to? From a little perspective about us, we've been able to teach about 3,000 kids virtually, and we definitely see the impact. I believe that right now teachers have a lot of grace because they understand the difficulties of this moment and the difficulties in connecting with the kids virtually um, and grades may you know be reflecting that grace as well and so luckily for parents that maybe panic hasn't quite hit yet um, but i think this will all translate to next you know next september next fall how much grace will the teachers be able to have still and it all comes you know trickling down from how much is put on them and how much pressure, because this is something that I think the kids will carry with them for a while, right? Until we can really fill those gaps. I wanna ask you a little bit, Elena, about your findings too. Which students did you kind of come across that? I know you mentioned English language learners uh, or ELA and then math, but I think in there, obviously English language learners fall. So who are the ones most impacted aside from the little ones? Yeah, so yeah, English language learners. Um, and really sort of any um, student, sort of low income student that's not able to sort of access um, that remote education more easily. Um, and so we have what we have here is we're seeing, yes, the most sort of at risk students, students who maybe already were you know, at risk of falling behind even before the pandemic are the ones that are now being thrown into these systems with you know, inadequate support, inadequate resources. And so that's something, you know, we can touch on is, you know, that the connection between the instruction they're receiving and how well they're progressing and then the resources that they're able to access or not access during the pandemic. Yeah, and, and so let's talk a little bit about our students who are already struggling and um, what it life is like for us. And, and when I say us, Elena is an educator right now online. She's teaching, you know, small groups uh, to write and so on. Uh, I teach a seventh grade class for math all the time. And some of the, the basic challenges are just connecting with our kids, uh, teaching to a black screen, right? And not knowing what's on the other side and if there's some response. And we try everything, Kahoot and, and Nearpod and the chat and music. But I mean, the challenge is there. Elena, from your own personal 
kind of perspective. I'm guessing you go into a class to teach writing and you're super excited because it's mm -hmm. obvious you love that. And then suddenly you're faced with the reality of some of these challenges. What are the challenges for you in terms of teaching writing, say, for middle schoolers right now? Yeah, so I um, teach um, or I taught a, an eighth grade English and writing class um, at Tetzlaff Middle School um, that met on a weekly basis. and. Yeah, I think the first the first sort of session was kind of a reality check for me. I came in sort of gung ho. I looked at the curriculum. I made kind of made it my own and kind of you know figured out what I was going to do for that hour and was met yeah with with the the dark screens, um, you know, just pretty much communicating via chat. And you know, I think it goes back to what you were talking about earlier with grace. Um, you know, so I was I'm coming in this um, this hour and I don't really know a lot. I don't have the whole context of what other classes are juggling, what sort of assignments they're getting, what their home life looks like. And so, you know, it could be they're, they're just like burnt out, you know, and so I don't have those those factors. And so I always just try to like, okay, operate with a sense of like grace and just like, you know, kind of to just being able to shift my material to sort of, you know, see what engages them and what doesn't. And so, yeah, I do think even across middle school, I think Kahoot, Nearpod are, are great tools, um, particularly Nearpod. And it just, it allows me to sort of um, get to talk about the material I want to talk about, but also make sure that they're following along, you know, asking open-ended questions and stuff to get them to share with me what they're interested in about that particular lesson. And just sort of maybe just give them the reins a little bit more than I usually would, um, because I think that's just sort of the name of the game right now is engagement. Yeah, yeah. And, and from an assessment perspective, since we're talking about this idea of knowing or measuring or tracking this academic gap do you find yourself more focused on just engagement rather than so much assessing because i i found myself kind of falling a little bit more in that track right if i can just get my students to dialogue with me if i can get them to at least do some problems right now i mean we're moving forward in a positive way um we've done assessments at you know tutor zone with the kids and we have obviously seen that there's academic gaps but how much can we really value an assessment that a kid does on google forms or you know something that they kind of have to a kahoot at this point they've probably done a million kahoots as we're all trying to engage them so how how much do you think you have a good kind of pulse of their their kind of intake from what you've been able to teach sure i mean i think i have always personally sort of approached math different from the, you know how I approach the humanities how I approach English writing I think with math is sort of a little bit easier to kind of check off okay these are kind of some of the core concepts that I'm going to talk about and hope that they know by the end of these sessions where yeah I think writing and reading um, are always just maybe a little bit more discussion based and can be a little bit more free in terms of what those kind of goals or standards are and so you know, also just, you know, in my own teaching experience, you know, in my own kind of evolution the past few years, I used to be quite, you know, quite standard oriented. And I think over time, I just realized that that didn't necessarily translate into the greatest amount of success or just sort of enjoyment in the class. And so I think I have personally kind of taken a more, I wouldn't say lax approach, but I've just been, I've, you know, try to be more dynamic in how I imagine student success. And so, yeah, I think, you know, if a student um, in my writing class, I always try to leave the prompts as open as possible because I would rather, you know, have them write, you know, five sentences about something that they're really interested in as opposed to, 
you know, a full eight to ten, eight to ten sentence paragraph about something that they're not interested in at all. Let's let's get back to your blog because I think you and I both as um, you know, surrounded by family members who are in education, we could talk about teaching and totally get off subject. So let's go back to your blog. And you, you quote here, let me quote you. It says, the amount of learning lost during school closures depends on access to remote learning, the quality of remote instruction, home support, and the degree of engagement. So obviously there, there's, there's a few factors that you kind of have touched on. Um, let's talk a little bit about the access, because I know you really went into that. So access to remote learning, what do you mean by that? And what um, does your kind of blog go into that a little deeper? Yeah, so um, just for some quick background, uh, Manuel already knows this, but both of my parents are elementary school teachers in LA Unified. My dad is a third grade teacher in Monta Vista in Highland Park, and my mom is a second grade teacher at Griffin Avenue Elementary in Lincoln Heights. And so specific to LAUSD, one thing I noticed in, you know, in, in reference to access resources um, was, you know, at the beginning, it's like a lot of, a lot of their students um, don't have access to Wi-Fi or don't have a device, you know, to be able to log on to the Zoom class. And so, you know, it's a matter of, you know, being able to loan out iPads, Chromebooks, laptops to students, you know, getting them a hotspot if needed. And so that's a that's a lengthy process. And I think, you know, even within, you know, LAUSD is such a huge district, you know, some schools work faster at kind of doing that distribution process and getting those for the students who needed them. And so, yeah, I think, you know, education, you know, is just one thing out of many that I think during the pandemic, we really saw this sort of like every state for itself or every district, every school is sort of for itself in the sense and there was just not a lot of, you know, cohesion on these larger levels that allowed for you know, a smooth process across all schools. Yeah, definitely. And if I can add to that, and I think really where the COVID gap or this academic gap that we talk about would be most prevalent, maybe would be most visible. I think really it was from that March 14th shutdown to the end of that school year. I mean, I think a lot of schools caught up, you know, somewhat at least technology-based. Uh, I remember, you know, hearing that Verizon and AT&T were, were coming and giving hotspots to the kids. And I'm blessed to live across the street from a really good school, Murphy Ranch. And I saw kids driving up and getting their iPads or so on. But that didn't really happen until down the road, as you mentioned. And one of the main ones, I think, was childcare for teachers. Um, how in the world were teachers supposed to teach their kids immediately on Zoom um, or on Google Meet when maybe their little one was right next to them trying to you know, go through this remote learning experience as well? And for any parents out there who are trying to supplement and help their kids right now kind of navigate that, you know it's not easy. And so you can't put a third grader in front of a computer or a second grader and expect them to go. And so that was a big challenge for teachers as well. I remember seeing when the school year came back, this 2021 uh, school year, seeing teachers drive up to the, the school again and having their classroom where they can teach in there, right? Kind of getting that normality. And I remember seeing their little ones going in there with them and having your little ones sit on a desk and feel like they're at school. That's a big difference than on the couch in front of a TV. So I think, I think things started to kind of catch up and we started seeing more consistency in this new school year, but obviously it took some time. And so that's where I really think the COVID gap really is strong. Again, I'm not sure, you know, the, the kind of intake you've taken from your parents, but I'm guessing you've kind of seen some of that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, 
I think a few months into this, this 2021, this 2020, 2021 school year, it was like my parents, you know, both sort of expressed like, you know, we have a routine down about what we do. This is our language arts hour. This is our math hour. This is when we do sort of, you know, extracurriculars. We're doing virtual field trips. And so all the kind of, you know, normal things um, that they were sort of interweaving in their lessons before they were able to, you know, not completely, but somewhat replicate those online. And so I do think that um, there was definitely more consistency by the time the, the next school year rolled around. Yeah, and, and I think we'll have to, again, wait and see in the future to see how much that routine or the, translated into quality. Because I agree. I mean, I think we all are creatures of routine and, and the kids probably found a routine. I don't know how much that routine became you know, I can just log on, I'm there. Now I can shut off my screen and log on to another, you know, screen or something like that. I know how savvy our little ones are, our teenagers and our high schoolers. And so we'll see. Um, this, this I think has been a really good conversation. Let's conclude it with, I thought, something really powerful from the blog, a specific quote directly that um, Elena, you decided to go to. Let me read it directly from your conclusion. It said, Nusila asked students to write about their experiences of the pandemic. I think that's so important for us to actually go to the source, to the kids and ask them how they're feeling, how they're navigating this. And um, Willow P, a seventh grader at Impact Academy in Hayward, California, shared her history, her story. And quote, here's what she wrote. Cities and countries have learned that the most important part about this pandemic is trying to stay together while apart. I think during this process, humanity has created more empathy and kindness. First of all, I'm guessing that you're super proud of hearing a seventh grader write that way, because I mean, I thought that was really great for a seventh grader. But how did you uh, digest that and and kind of put all your findings into conclusion here in what what you learned from her or from her book? Yeah, I mean, I think another big thing I was thinking about when putting together this article is how I was just sort of trying to imagine myself as a student in their shoes. You know, I graduated from college, you know, in 2019. My sister, I have an older sister who's two years older. And so we both were sort of like, wow, we've always taken in-person learning for granted. You know, we never could have imagined a pandemic. We don't know how we would have, you know, grappled with that, you know, if we were in elementary school or middle school. And so I think hearing that, um, you know, also, of course, in the context of 2020, which was, you know, a, a, an election year, um, you know, that we had all the, the kind of protests over racial justice back in, back last summer. And so I think just to hear that um, was definitely just one was touching, um, because I do think that, you know, outside of the kind of traditional, you know, academic learning that takes place, there's so much other kind of life skills and things about the world that students um, can learn about and hopefully have learned about, you know, and witnessed firsthand this past year. And so I do really think that's that underlying message of the importance of, of family and friends and um, staying connected, even if it's over a screen. I, I think that's it's a great message and one that that resonates um, with me. That's awesome. Uh, again, I think from the conversation today, we kind of got to see the resilience of educators and how finding routines and, and finding the right spaces, but the resilience of the kids to me is really what, no matter how big the COVID gap is, as long as as adults, we come together to find the right resources that they need, whether it's supplemental tutoring, whether it's an extra writing program after school, a teacher that stays with them. I think it's on us to come up with those resources to help the kids fulfill this, this academic gap, but the resilience of these kids still logging on to you know Zoom or Google Meets a year deep into this, I think really gives me hope. 
Elena, thank you so much. I know you're working already on another few blogs and they're really powerful. So look forward to having you do this with us again. Thank you guys so much for your time. Please see us again at our next episode where we will make sure we dive deeper into what's happening with proposals from the government in, in different ways of approaching education into the future. Thank you.